Fantastic, wonderful. I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Job today, or if you're new to the Bible, maybe you'd call it Job, but either way, it works. Job chapter 1 is where we'll, we'll start here in just a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of preaching a mini-series on uh, when you're in a tight spot or when your world falls apart, and there is a lot to learn from this man by the name of Job. From the church parking lot, it is 3.6 miles to my house. Now, I can go a variety of ways, uh, and I usually take different routes to break it up. Uh, sometimes I go up through Fianna Hills, and when I do that, I get a glimpse, Charlie, of a beautiful golf course, all right? I see bits and pieces of it as I go by. And then when I get to the light at the top of the hill uh, and turn left on 251, I have a magnificent view of God's creation. It is absolutely beautiful looking down across that valley and seeing the mountains. It may not do anything for you, but for a kid that grew up in West Texas, you know, it is really beautiful. Uh, all along the way are great homes with perfectly manicured yards. You know what? That's just the outside. If you know the homes, you know the people who live inside. Real people with real problems. Broken relationships rebellious teenagers, large debts, maybe an abusive spouse, physical illness. Really, when you come down to it, there are broken lives all around us. In the house next door, in the adjoining cubicle at work, or maybe in the seat next to you right here at church. In fact, pain is one of the few things that we all have in common. And maybe you're the one whose world has fallen apart. Maybe you have a crushed spirit or a hidden heartache that is too deep for words or too private for the church prayer chain. Unfortunately, no easy three-step method exists for erasing pain. We can dissect it. We can describe it. We can analyze it. But we cannot make it go away. We can, however, learn to face it, fight it, and even learn from it. And that's really the lesson we learned from today's story, which took place right down the street at Job's house. <laughs> Let's read a little bit about this. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Skip down to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Now I really wish that I had time to, to talk about these next few verses. Because when you just read them, they are incredible. Okay? Get this picture of the sons of God meeting before the Lord God himself. And who shows up? The fallen angel. Lucifer. Satan himself. And what is more amazing is the next verse. And the Lord said to Satan, From where did you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From growing to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Boy, there's a sermon right there. Because he's still doing the same thing. The New Testament says he's prowling about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's still up to that. Then the Lord, get that, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hands and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. But the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Wow. It was the Lord that set Job up and allowed the devil to do what he did. And it is amazing what the devil did. Satan took aim at Job with a diabolical onslaught. You've heard the phrase, all hell broke loose. Well, all hell did break loose on the home of Job. The Sabaeans slaughtered 500 of his oxen and 500 of his donkeys and killed his servants. Fire from heaven incinerated 7,000 sheep and the shepherds. The Chaldeans took his camels and murdered his servants. An F5 tornado or something like it leveled one of his homes, killing all seven of his sons and all three of his daughters. And if that wasn't enough, just over in the next chapter, chapter 2, we have this same scenario where the sons of God come before the Lord and guess who shows up? It's the devil. Round 2. He says, well, you know, Lord, if you would just allow me to touch his physical body, then he would curse you. God gave him permission, and the next thing that we see is from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head, boils broke out all over the body of Job. These are terrible, tragic events, aren't they? And what makes them even more terrible is the speed in which they occurred. For just as one messenger had reported a tragedy, there was another messenger on his heels to tell of a new horror. And within minutes, Job's world was in a tailspin. His cosmos had become chaos. You talk about being in a tight spot. (laughs) Boy, he was. Could he make it? Would he survive? Well, I guess the real question is this. Will you? Will you? I pray that these things don't happen to you like they happened to Job. But guess what? Life is filled with tight spots. Life is filled with tragedies. You've had your share, haven't you? Come on, people, haven't you? Well, hang on. It might get worse. You may face more trials ahead. How will you survive? Well, here are some lessons that we learned from Job that can help us survive dark days when our world falls apart. Three helps today. Number one, when your world falls apart, you need to be looking up to God. For for most of us, the response to tragedy is self-pity, is it not? We say, why me? Don't we? I'm just trying to be real with us today, don't we? Why why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to my family? Why has this happened to my kid? 
We cry and we whine and we throw a pity party. Therefore, it is very interesting to me to note that the first thing Mr. Job did when his world fell apart is that he worshipped God. Wow. Why would he respond to bad news with biblical worship? Or perhaps a more relevant question is, how? How in the world could he worship God when his world was falling apart? Well, the answer is very simple. Job had an unshakable faith in God. Job's faith in God was much deeper than the tragedies which befell him. Faith characterized his life before, during, and even after the tragedies. Look at what he did in verse 20. This is what he did. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped God. Verse 20 tells us that Job did three things. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped God. These were three acts of humility before the Lord. And in the middle of all hell's fury unleashed upon him, Job worshipped God. Boy, that's amazing. And then I want you to notice what he said. Not only what he did, but what he said. Verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. L listen to me, church. Job knew something that you and I better know. Okay? Job knew something that you and I better know. No matter what happens on earth and in my life, God is still on the throne, and God is still in control. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter if it's a good day or if it's the worst day in my life. God is to be worshipped. <laughs> that is Job's faith. And really in verse 21, we had the, have the creed of his life. I, I love this. this. This was his purpose statement. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, his faith was not found in his business. His faith was not found in his wealth, or his family, or even his health. Job's faith was in a God who never changes. And so he was able to confess in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, Yet I will trust him. <laughs> wow. You know, I think it's important to note that this kind of faith doesn't just suddenly appear out of nowhere. Okay? For Job, it was a way of life. For Job, it was something that he had been working on and developing every day for years. Go back to verse 1, the verse we started with. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Four words describe Job's character. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. And he shunned evil. Then down in verses 2 through 5, it, it kind of describes how Job lived. We, we have a description of, of, of his life. L listen to verse 2. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. 
Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. It was his way of life. That's how he lived. You see, worship was a part of the fabric of his life. Therefore, when the bottom fell out, he didn't have to run to the bookstore and buy a manual on seven steps to finding God. He knew where to turn. He knew where God was. It was a habit of his life to walk forward and worship God. I don't, you may know that uh, for four years, Angie and I lived in Fort Worth. I attended Southwestern Theological Seminary. Okay? Uh, boy, that was a time. Man, I tell you what. God taught us some lessons there. It was a growing experience. Um, met a lot of good people that, uh, that I've, I've kept in touch with through the years, uh, off and on. Uh, I can remember something that happened. I don't know if it was my first or second year at seminary. There was a young couple. He was a seminary student. His, his wife uh, worked a job. They lived close to the campus there. One night their house caught on fire. They were, they were able to escape out the window of the house. The husband went back in the house to try to save their newborn baby. But he never came out. Their pastor, who was also a seminary professor, was called and told what happened on his way to Harris Hospital he asked himself in the car what can I say to comfort this young woman she's lost everything she's lost her home all of her possessions she's lost her husband she's lost her newborn baby what could anyone say her pastor Dr. Gregory found her in a dark room with a pulled curtain. When he walked in, her face was soot-covered. But before he could say a word to her, she looked at him and said, Pastor, the Lord is the strength of my life. In his book, Growing Pains of the Soul, Dr. Gregory said, This young woman did not decide at that moment to view God in that way. Obviously, it had been her practice for years to say, the Lord is the strength of my life and really mean it. Then when she needed that strength most of all, it was there for her. If it is your habit to walk with God daily, then when the going gets tough and your world falls apart, it is only natural that you will look up to Him. And looking to God... You take your eyes off the problem and you put your eyes on the solution to the problem. The God who sits on the throne of the universe. Number two, when your world falls apart, you need to listen to God. The bulk of this book of Job contains the counsel and advice given to Job. 
Now, when your world falls apart, know this. Many people will offer advice, but beware of who you listen to. Several people in Job's life dished out some cheap advice. In her own grief and rage, Miss Job explodes and lashes out both at God and her husband. In chapter 2, verse 9, the wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? <laughs> wow. What support. Remember, suffering can either make you better or bitter. And apparently it was making Miss Job bitter. Job's wife is really not the only well-meaning counselor who offers him some bad advice. He has three friends who come to his side, and the most of the rest of the book, they, they wrangle back and forth with Job, doing more finger-pointing than consoling and more preaching than showing mercy. They try to do what no person can do for another which is to declare dogmatically why someone is suffering. Listen to me. I don't know why you're going through a tough time. Sometimes I don't know why I go through tough times. It is evident from the biblical text, Job didn't know why, nor did he ever know why. The direction they give Job is so off course... That by the end of the book, when God speaks to these three amigos, listen to what he says. 42.7, my wrath is kindled against you because you have not spoken of me what is right. Woo! That leads me to two conclusions about giving and taking advice. If you give direction to someone who's in a tight spot, you better make sure that it is sound, biblical, godly advice. And if you don't have that, it's best to keep your mouth shut. Secondly, if you're in a tight spot, you need to be real careful who you're listening to. Because ultimately, there is only one way that is the right way, and that's God's way. Oh, I like that. There's only one way that's the right way, that's God's way. There's only one way of salvation, God's way. There's only one way out of temptation, that's God's way. There's only one way to survive when your world falls apart, that's God's way. Let, let me talk to your heart just for a moment. If you are like me and your world is falling apart, you want to know why, don't you? And you want to know why right now. I've, I've learned that, that God is really more concerned with my character and making me into the man He wants me to be than He is at answering my questions about why. He never answered Job's why question. And He may never answer your why question. James talked about that in chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it pure joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, wanting nothing. 
Job never knew about the conversation between God and Satan. He never knew that. God never explained to Job that his life and his faith would be an inspiration to countless millions of people in countless generations. In fact, the Lord did not speak until the end of the book. And this is what God asked Job or said to Job in chapter 40 verse 2. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And later on, listen to what God said. Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. I think the lesson is real clear. When when I face problems, people are going to line up to give me advice and tell me what's wrong in my life. Mark it down. When you're down, people are going to use that opportunity to bash you. That's just the way people are. People stink sometimes, don't they? Isn't it the truth, though? Generally, they're jealous of you for whatever reason, and so when you're down, they're going to let you know, but they're going to tell you all the things wrong in your life. But really, the only one voice that matters is God's voice. Look at me. And God does not have to tell you why. But because He loves us, He's going to help us, and He's going to give us direction. So number three, when your world falls apart, you need to learn to lean on God. Chapter 13, verse 15, again, Job made these famous words, Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. What happens when your world falls apart? Well, I think Job is our model here. Two times this passage tells us, In all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with wrong. That's amazing. In all of these bad things that happened, not one single time did Job sin or charge God with wrong. Instead of blaming God, Job realizes that his only relief is in trusting God. I can quote this passage to you, but I want to read it to you. You know it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. You lean on God. He will direct you. You trust in God. He will lead you through the difficult days. At the end of the book, after it's all said and done. Okay, let me stop right here. This has been a pretty bleak sermon, hasn't it? About as bleak as the weather outside. You're greatly depressed at this point, aren't you? Don't be. Don't be, because here's the deal. When Job looked up, when Job listened to, When Job leaned upon God, he won the victory. God rewarded him. And at the end of the book, God rewarded Job with twice as much as he had before. You go back and count those animals. God multiplied them. 
gave him twice as many. God gave Job ten more kids. Seven sons and three daughters. Probably better than the first set. I don't know. It's kind of horrible to say. It does remark at the end of the book how beautiful these three daughters were that God gave Job. God gave Job another 140 years of life. Job was able to see four generations of his offspring. Wow. The Lord was with him. Can I tell you something? God is going to be with you. you know, listening to a sermon on suffering is one thing, isn't it? Coping with it is entirely different. If you're here today and you are desperately looking for relief, you may find that the best answer to the why question is not a reason but a person. Sixteen times Job had hurled to the heavens his anguished question, why? Why? But God never answered that question. Fifty-nine times we encounter the word who in reference to God. Now this is amazing. Why? Who? Just a simple change of the letter Y to the letter O is what made all the difference. Because you know what? Job didn't need to know why. Job just needed to know who. <laughs> he needed to know who was in control. Who to listen to. Who to lean upon. And guess what, people? That's what we need. We need the who. <laughs> Michael Boggs is a friend of mine. Michael grew up at the West Tulsa Free Will Baptist Church right there in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. He went from there to Hillsdale College, a very gifted and talented uh, musician, guitar player, songwriter, singer. In fact, it was at Hillsdale that he helped form the Chapel Hillsdale Band. Before he graduated from Hillsdale, he went off and joined a Christian contemporary group called FFH. M many of you have heard of them. They wrote and song, uh, sing a song that's one of my all-time favorites. It's, it's simply entitled, Still, S-T-I-L-L, Still the Cross. In this song, they make a dogmatic claim that in a world where everything is chaos and there are so many wrongs that occurred, there is still one place that you can go and find relief and hope. That's the cross. Okay? I'm not going to sing it even though I want to. <laughs> but just listen to a few of these words. Sometimes it seems the world's unraveling around us. We fear it all may one day come undone. We can't forget the one who came before us to forgive the past and bring hope for what's to come. When it all comes crashing down, the cross still stands alone. And on this our faith is built and our courage is made strong. When your world falls apart and you fear for your heart, there's a tower of peace. It's still the cross. And like my old preacher Buddy Drake used to do every Sunday, I'm going to invite you to the cross 
Heavenly Father, I pray that, that those who are listening to your voice today would come to the cross. And I pray, dear Lord, that it's here at the cross they would find relief and forgiveness and peace. Dear Lord, for the person who's here today that's never accepted you as Lord of their life, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for the Christian who strayed and is away from you, may today they come home. And dear Lord, for the rest of us who are just struggling with life's problems, who are experiencing some of the pain that Brother Job felt, may we today come to the cross and look to you, listen to you, and lean on you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.